Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hello, this is Jessica, and we are back with another episode of Keto Lifestyle Podcast. This is episode number 11. Wow, 11. We've got 10 of them down, 10 in the books. That is so exciting. I can't believe it. It seems like I just started this yesterday. And I have a big surprise for everybody. Today we have Derek. <laughs> he's, he's back. The non-health expert guy is back. <laughs> the, the health experts, well, I don't know if I'm a health expert, but the uh, nutritional enthusiast's husband is back. <laughs> so I'm so excited to have him on here with me today because otherwise I feel like it's just me talking and talking and talking. And sometimes I'm like, is there anybody ever listening? <laughs> so I love to have him back and it just gives me so much more energy to do an episode. So I'm excited. So uh, before we get started, I want to uh, have Derek update us. Uh, anybody that listened to my last uh, last week's podcast knows that last week when I recorded, Derek was out of uh, out of the state. He was uh, in Texas, and he was doing some relief work in Texas after the hurricane. And I wanted him to take a minute and just update us a little bit on kind of how that went and what he saw and what he got to experience there. Well, the big news, uh, so I came back and everything is good there. Uh, there were about 4,000 real estate agents with the company Keller Williams that uh, were supposed to have a big conference that we scheduled a year in advance. And uh, what was really cool is they canceled the conference to uh, basically give the people in Houston, Texas, an opportunity for everyone to serve them, which I thought was pretty awesome. That's amazing. That's awesome. So all these people had, you know, bought plane tickets and hotel reservations and paid for the conference. And they were contacted by the Keller Williams organization and said, listen, the Austin Convention Center has been converted to a relief center and we're no longer able to do the conference there. Would you still be interested in coming down? So they made us uh, basically re-sign up to commit that we were coming and 4,000 agents said, yeah, we'll still come down. Uh, they uh, basically bought us all red T-shirts that said, you know, Red Relief on them. And they asked us to basically have a willing heart and attitude and not really know exactly what we were in for. So they divided us into the days that I was, I was there three days. They put us on 63 different buses with 50 people each on them. And they uh, went from Austin in a two-and-a-half-hour bus ride down to serve the people. Wow, that's amazing. That must have been quite a scene going down the highway, all these buses full of, 
well, nobody knew you guys were real estate agents, but all these buses full of people in these red t-shirts, they were probably thinking, where are they taking? What is going on? Who are these people? What was cool is so one of the assignments I had was the first day I showed up at this church. They had converted it to a uh, like a food pantry and supply depot. So people were just dropping off stuff constantly for supplies. That was awesome. They just go to Costco and maybe they just wanted to be nice and they would fill up the back of their truck and drop it off at this church. The church would then check it all in, categorize it. And then there was people coming in the other side of the church that just needed stuff. So I talked to this lady and um, she was there feeding her baby. And uh, she told me that she still has not been able to get back into her house. This was 17 days after the hurricane. Wow, that's amazing. And and then so I asked her, you know, what's going to happen to her house? And she said, well, if they can't get in there within 30 days and demuck it, then basically it has to be condemned. And that means it's torn down. And this is happening to thousands of people all over Houston. Wow, that's crazy. And I think I heard that... Um, that because of the uh, the act of nature or whatever that this is, that flood insurance is not does not cover um, any of these homes that were flooded in Texas, even if you had flood insurance. Well, I think it depends on like the location, but yeah, there's a big issue right now where a lot of the insurance companies have some loopholes that they're working out where they don't have to potentially cover those losses. That would be so scary as a family. Like I can't even imagine being in that situation at all, but especially if you thought you were covered and then you're facing like potentially losing everything. Well, I mean, so for the the listeners on this show, I know you guys had extended thoughts and prayers to me while I was down there. I wasn't feeling the best and I'm just finally getting over this uh, bad cold I had, but to see the despair down there and the people that were, you know, really affected. Uh, this one lady told me uh, a story. Her cousin was with her um, and I, I was loading food into her car. And she said, you know, at about one o'clock in the morning, the water started coming in their front door. They thought it sounded like someone knocking on the door. So she started stuffing towels underneath the front doorstep. And a few minutes later, started coming in the electrical outlets on the outside of the walls of the house. And then within a few minutes after that, all the electricity started shorting out. So she ran upstairs, grabbed her two kids. Her husband woke him up, got their dog. They inflated an air mattress. They inflated it up. They opened the front door, and this flood of water comes in, uh, waist to chest high. They put the uh, two kids and the dog on this on this life raft, basically, and they went out, and it's pitch black outside. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. They walked and waded through a half a mile of, of water so they could get to a high ground, which was a CVS, called their brother who came in a pickup truck and picked him up. And this is one of tens of thousands of stories like this that could have been told. I mean, I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine like walking through the water like that, the middle of the night, dark, you know, not knowing where you're walking, what you're stepping on, what you could be running into. I mean, that would be terrifying. So, I mean, just imagine that for any of you listening, just what your daily life could be like. They set up a relief fund and I thought to myself, you know, like I'm going down, I'm donating my time, I'm, you know, flying down. And I kind of was patting myself on the back a little bit, honestly, you know, just being very, you know, transparent. And when I got down there, I was like, I got to do more. I mean, there's just, there's just not, I didn't do enough, you know, and there's people all around me. Some of the teams were demucking houses, which was probably, if you ever watched the show Dirty Jobs, it's probably the worst job you could do. You have to go into these houses, which a lot of them still had water in them, 
fish, snakes, termites, mold, uh, you know, diseases in the water, raw sewage. They're going in there, pulling drywall and and uh, the everything behind the drywall, insulation, anything that had been behind the walls, uh, furniture, just debris, anything that had floated in from the you know in the neighborhood. This is gross, right? And these guys, I mean, volunteered their time. That someone told me an estimate was twenty to thirty thousand dollars a house that it costs to have these homes demucked. Most of these people just don't have any money. And then even just normal suburban families, I mean, you just don't have that kind of cash laying around. So if the home wasn't demucked within 30 days, then they basically they get, uh, you know, condemned. And while I was down there, the teams that we were a part of, I think they were demucking about 40 houses a day. And it may not sound like a lot when you think of thousands of people that have this issue, but 40 homes a day times twenty to $30,000 in value. I mean, it really created a lot of economic impact for those families. Uh, in addition to all the supplies that were donated and distributed, uh, the last thing I'll say about it is in Florida, the next storm just hit, and uh, that's Irma, I guess, right? So they were starting to divert some supplies out to Florida because it was such a widespread issue. So long story short, um, it was great to be part of the uh, efforts out there. And I'm really happy that people were aware of the situation, that they mobilized, they went down. And thanks for all the prayers and thoughts when we went down. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's amazing. I just was really... Um, in all of you doing that and all of the um, agents in your profession that were willing to give their time and money and um, and the families because, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but the families like, you know, myself and our kids and all these other agents who have wives and husbands and children and it, you know, the families had to be behind those agents as well to say, yes, you go take take the time the money, the effort, and go help these other families out. So I think it was a really awesome thing for everybody involved. Yeah, and just keep in mind, all those people are self-employed. So if they're not working, they're not making money too. So it's a double economic impact. Right, right. And that's uh, that definitely, you know, the families are aware of that. I mean, so everybody had to make a decision and make that to, to do that sacrifice on behalf of these people that are hurting and in this situation. So... It was a it was a great thing to do, and I'm really proud of you for having done that, and of Keller Williams as an organization. For um, you know, I saw the CEO say it's people before profit, and that is exactly what you guys did. You went down there and you put people's lives and people uh, people's needs above the profit that you could have been making each and every one of you four thousand agents as a company. So. It's a, it was a big deal. Um, okay, so let's move on to this episode. Um, today we're going to do a listener question episode, and I have um, I have four questions that we're going to go over today, and a couple of these have been asked more than once, so is why I put them on here, and I just thought that these would be good questions to go over today, so that's what we're going to do. Well, I'll start you off. I'm going to read the questions for you all there, so... That's my Texas coming up in me here from Texas, y'all. It was y'all, y'all, or uh, all y'all. That's what they say. So, hey, all y'all, come over here. It's funny because we say y'all in Ohio and Kentucky. You know, it's y'all, but you get a little bit further south and it's all y'all. <laughs> it's everybody, our body, so it's all y'all. Okay, first question, uh, what is white fat 
and brown fat. What's the difference? Mm, what a great question, Derek. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so, um, okay, so brown fat and white fat. Some of you may not even, you may be thinking right now, oh my gosh, uh, what do you mean white fat and brown fat? Didn't know there were two type, different types of fat and had no idea. Okay, well, if you don't know, great. That's going to be a great question for you. And if you did know there were two types and you're unsure about it, um, like this particular listener was, and then we're just going to break it down real quick for you because um, it is important and it is um, it is something that you need to be aware of and kind of helps you to understand maybe why you're even wanting to be ketogenic or why you even want to have less fat um, other than that you want to be thinner because most people would say, oh, well, I don't want any of that fat because fat is fat and I don't want to be fat and so I want to lose weight. But there are two totally different types of fat and you actually want one and not the other. So it's like white rice is white fat and brown rice is brown fat? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not like that at all, actually. <laughs> Good try. What about white sugar is white fat and brown sugar is brown fat? <laughs> no, brown sugar and white sugar is all white fat. How's that? How's that for confusing? Brown plus white equals white. So here's what we're going to talk about. Okay, so brown fat. Let's start out with the brown fat. So brown fat is actually, quote unquote, the good fat. So um, brown fat is actually, you generate that in your body by exercise um, is one of the ways, which exercise actually can convert the white or yellow fat that you have into brown fat. So um, brown fat is typically found in areas like um, your... Uh, let's see, like the, between your shoulder blades on your black, on your, on your black, on your back, um, surrounding your kidneys, your neck, um, your spinal cord, uh, areas like that. So, um, also another way to make sure that you are generating, um, the brown fat is by sleeping, getting enough quality sleep. Um, that produces proper levels of melatonin production, which influences the production of the brown fat. So you not just getting sleep, but proper sleep. You also, um, can produce, you can generate brown fat by exposure to cold regularly. So like I know Derek, you take, you take regularly, we'll take cold showers. And one of the benefits is that of, of cold showers is that, and I know that you know this, but is that it can convert some of the white or yellow fat that you have into brown fat. And, uh, you want to definitely want to do that. You can also do it by exercising outside, like in cold, colder, like winter temps or lowering, just lowering the temp, the, you know, the constant temperature and that's in your home or your office. And then, uh, cryotherapy is another way to do it. And I personally love cryotherapy. I think it's, um, awesome. I, I really enjoyed doing it. I felt like it was super ener energizing and, um, you know, obviously I, I couldn't see if my fat on the inside was being converted to brown fat, but, <clears throat> but I know that, um, I just know that biologically it should have been. So definitely that would have had an impact. Okay, so that's kind of brown fat. So white fat, well, and then it kind of, what does brown fat even do? Like why, why do you even care? So brown fat burns energy. And it's actually brown because that's where your mitochondria is located. It's um, very dense with mitochondria. And so that gives it the brown color. And uh, your mitochondria's job is to convert that fat directly into energy. So 
Uh, so your brown fat, that's what it does. So your white fat is the predominant form that's in your body. So most of the fat in your body is the white fat. White fat stores energy and, um, it is a, it's a major endocrine organ actually, which is a hormone producing organ. Um, it, it produces a form of estrogen, which is important to know because breast cancer, um, for instance, is fueled by an overabundance of estrogen. So if you know anyone who has had breast cancer and, and, and is overweight, one of the first things the doctor will tell them to do is to lose weight. And that is why. Um, because the white fat that your body has is actually producing more estrogen, which just fuels that cancer. So that's a, that's a huge thing. Um, it also produces the hormone leptin, which we've talked about in the past. That's your hormone that helps regulate uh, your appetite and your hunger. So it also has receptors for insulin, for human growth hormone, adrenaline, and cortisol. So it's the fat that accumulates around your thighs, your buttocks, your breast, and your ab abdomen, which the fat that, the white fat that's on your abdomen is the dangerous fat, the visceral fat. You do not want that. Um, we also have a higher accumulation uh, when, on, when we do have a higher accumulation, I should say, that's on your abdomen. That's when you're more at a risk for a metabolic syndrome, which would lead to increased risk for like heart disease, diabetes, cancer, um, those types of diseases, just that metabolic dysregulation that that fat causes. So um, just to give you kind of a little bit of a, a neat like little factoid, I don't know if it's neat, but you might find it interesting. I think these types of things are interesting, but about one pound of stored fat is approximately 4,000 calories. So if you hear people talking about if you don't eat, you're going to starve to death and you're going to mess up your metabolism and, you know, fasting is so bad for you and all these types of things. And I am a proponent for fasting. I don't think there's anything wrong with fasting at all. I believe very strongly that if you fast, you fast. If you feast, you feast. I don't think, I think where we've gone over this in past episodes, so I won't get into it. But if you are eating any amount of calories and it's just a small amount of calories, that's when you're dysregulating your, your metabolism. That's when your metabolism thinks, oh my gosh, you know, your, your body thinks I'm not getting enough calories. I'm getting some, but not enough. Oh man, we must be in a famine. I need to start, you know, tapering everything down and slowing everything down so that, that we can survive. But when you're fasting and you're just not eating, your body thinks you're just in between feasts. You're just in between, you know, hunts, let's say. And so, um, so you have stored body fat and the reason you have stored, the reason your body even stores the body fat to start with is so that you can use it when you're in these periods of famine. So for instance, an average normal weight person has about 20 pounds of extra fat on their body at any given time. And that's just at a 15 to 30% body fat for women and a 15 to 25% body fat for men. And I'm not saying that's the ideal body fat percentages, but I'm saying that that is your kind of normal weight person. So a normal weight person in America would have about 20 pounds of, of extra fat on their body, on their body. So I just told you that one pound of stored fat is approximately 4,000 calories. So if you have 20 pounds of stored fat, that's like 80,000 calories of stored fat. So you could go well over a month at that rate and not eat a thing and be able to sustain yourself perfectly fine. No problems. 
All right. So let's get to another question. Can a keto diet help my migraine headaches? Sent in by a listener. Yes. And a word, yes, 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 yes. In a standard American diet, we have a high amount of carbohydrates and our body use our bodies. We use glucose for fuel on a diet like that. So many people don't understand that our bodies were not designed to use carbohydrates for fuel on an ongoing basis. Like that is not the preferred, the preferred fuel method for our body. It becomes what our bodies prefer because we, that's, that's how we're, you know, we're born ketogenic. Our mother's breast milk is ketogenic. All babies are ketogenic. We, they all run on ketones, but once we get enough carbohydrates and we continue to feed our bodies carbohydrates, the, um, the enzymatic processes in our digestion changes and those enzymes switch over to be more efficient at using carbohydrates instead of ketones. So we become sugar burners instead of fat burners. And that's pretty much everybody, you know, so what happens though is, so it is a, it's a quick burning fuel, but it doesn't give our bodies much of a lasting benefit. So, and alternatively, our organs actually prefer ketones. Every organ in the body does. As a matter of fact, the only organ that needs glucose at all is our brain. And guess what? Our livers are able to make the amount that our brains need. So I don't know how many times you've heard people say, oh, you need to eat carbohydrates to fuel your brain because it needs like 130 grams of carbs a day. And if you don't eat it, then your brain's going to starve. And there, you absolutely have to have carbohydrates. That is wrong, 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 wrong. I can't say how many, like just cannot beat that into people's heads enough how wrong that is. So if anybody tells you that, just know that they don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand biology. They don't understand metabolic function. They just don't get it. Glucose and carbs are not the same thing. It is a fact that your brain needs glucose. It will get, it needs about uh, 25 to 50% of its energy from glucose. De just depends, but that's about what it needs. But the interesting thing to understand is, is that our bodies are made so that they convert the other macronutrients like protein, for instance, into glucose if we don't get enough through carbohydrates that we're taking in. So if if you are just eating meat and you're not eating any vegetables or any other carb, any other source of carbohydrate at all, your body will still make carbohydrates. I mean, I'm sorry, still make glucose to fuel your brain. Well, on that note, I mean, I was talking to my friend uh, who's got, uh, you know, was diagnosed with brain cancer and they did a a major surgery to remove the tumor in his brain within about 30 days ago. And I was really happy to hear that his doctor was kind of an advanced doctor and put him on a strict ketogenic diet with less than 25 carbs a day to heal his brain. I mean, how relevant is that? Yeah, I think that's amazing. And yes, I love, I love that, that friend, that family. And, um, it was very heartbreaking to hear that diagnosis, but I am super encouraged after, you know, you came home from that lunch with him and, um, told me that I just, I was super encouraged by that because I really do believe. And then I know, I know it. I mean, I, I read it, I study it, I see it. I've heard the results. I've studied the results. Just, just 
mechanically, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, no, not mechanically, but I mean, just the mechanisms of how our body uses these macronutrients and how the ketogenic diet can help you and how it can, how, how cancer is fueled. Like cancer absolutely has to have glucose to fuel itself. It has to. So if you're not giving it extra carbs and extra sources of glucose and your body is only making the amount that your brain actually needs to, to survive and to live and to function, then there's no extra left over for the cancer to metabolize. So you're starving the cancer. I mean, that is what you're doing. So it is, I love that his doctor did that. And I'm just very thankful that he's got, that that's the kind of doctor that he has. Well, it's really interesting. As he told me at lunch, he said that he has a friend that's been taking him to his treatments. And he said it was a real health wake up call for his friend that he was going through this. So his friend said, I'm just going to go get checked out everything, you know, soup to nuts, top to bottom. Turns out that he has a major heart issue. His friend does. And so he went to a different doctor than my friends going to here. And this doctor said, yeah, you've got this heart issue. You've got all this stuff. We're going to put you on a strict ketogenic diet, basically. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Two different doctors, two different diagnoses, both have a very similar ending. Wow, that is incredible. And you didn't even tell me that second part. That is so encouraging to me. And you know, guys, the tide is changing. I mean, you cannot deny the research that's out there. It just cannot be denied. So unless you are a doctor or a researcher or, you know, a, a health professional of any kind that has their head buried in the sand or their heels dug into the dirt saying, no way, I am sticking to my guns. You have to be pretty cocky and pretty full of yourself to, to do that because that you, you, you know, any good doctor, any good health professional is going to read the newest, you know, information that's coming out, the newest uh, research and studies. And, and you can't, deny those just based on they don't fall in line with what you have always believed or what you want to believe. Like you have to go where the research leads. I mean, that's just the way it is. And where our research and our studies are becoming so much more advanced now, and we're starting to understand these things. And we, we understand biological functions and, and the physiology and the metabolic functions and metabolic pathways of our bodies now so much more than we, than we did even 10 years ago. So to continue to rely on, on information that was made popular in the 1950s and think that that's the end all be all for health today is, is just really backwards. And, um, you know, I was talking to actually my sister-in-law today and I, you know, we were just kind of talking and I said, you know, if you look around and you see that everybody is, is sick and well, it feels like everybody is sick and overweight and miserable and disease ridden and diabetes and cancer. And you see all these things. If the diet that we have been following for the last 60 years, 70 years, has not changed that, but it's actually made it worse. Don't you have to step back and take a look and go, okay, <laughs> something's not working because if it was working, things would be getting better, not getting worse, but they're getting worse. So we definitely have to take a step and look at that. But, um, so to go back to what I was talking about, uh, so that, yes, yeah, so the glucose that your brain needs, your liver produces, it will, it will create that through gluconeogenesis through, um, 
uh, through the protein that it gets in, or it will use the uh, small amount of carbohydrates that you are bringing in. If you just eat, if the only form of carbs you eat is vegetables, then it will use those carbohydrates to make the glucose that it needs for your brain. Um, there is no other organ in your body that needs carbohydrates. None. Absolutely none. So repeat after me, Derek. There are there are no no essential essential carbohydrates. Carbohydrate. Thank you very much. Okay. So let's put that one to bed. No essential carbohydrates. So um, anyway, okay. So to get back to why would this help the, uh, you know, will this help migraines? Yes, it can help migraines. And there's a lot of information out there on them. And I've got some information that um, just because I'm not a migraine expert, um, but I am a ketogenic expert. So I can tell you all the mechanisms for why ketogenic diets work and, and why the ketones being produced will help your brain and will help headaches. But I think this, um, this particular group has a really great, easy way of explaining it. So I, we talked about the carbohydrates and glucose and how a typical diet does that. Well, um, so the most, so a, um, Okay. So let me, let me see what they're saying here. Okay. So, um, as key, ketones will actually block high concentrations of glutamate, which, um, a ketogenic diet can have the helps the ketogenic diet to have beneficial effects for migraine sufferers, because it's thought that through a ketogenic diet, um, or through a ketogenic diet can also help various other brain and neurological disorders, including cancer and Alzheimer's and diabetes and epilepsy and migraine. And the reason why is because it blocks that glutamate, which is a neurotransmitter and, um, and high concentrations of that glutamate are typically what is found in both migraine and epilepsy patients. So, um, just the ketones alone will help will help block that. Um, on this migraineReliefCenter.com, they have uh, information that says a study of two migraine suffering sisters who went on medically supervised ketogenic diet to lose weight was found that not only did they lose weight, but they stopped having migraines during the time that their bodies were in ketosis. So just in case you're new to this, new to this podcast, new to this whole way of life, this whole lifestyle, this whole diet, Ketosis means if you're in ketosis, it means that your body is using, is making ketones and you are using ketones as fuel. So it doesn't mean that you have switched from a fat burn, from a sugar burner, which is using glucose for fuel to a fat burner, but it means that you are at least making ketones and your body is utilizing them. So the difference is, is that it takes a while. Like I said, that there's a totally different enzymatic process for you to digest ketones or fatty acids versus carbohydrates. So when you become fat adapted, then you, then that is when that, that happens a little bit further down the road. You need a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months and your body then builds the correct enzymes that it needs to be able to adequately use fat for fuel. And when you get through that, then you are fat adapted. Um, and then that is, that is when you can say that your body truly is a fat burner because it, that is now your body's preferential fuel because now it has the enzymes necessary to do that. So, but in this particular study, they didn't even have to be fat adapted. It was just, they were just eating the ketogenic diet and just were in ketosis and were able to do that. So, um, what they 
define as a ketogenic diet. It says the aim of the ketogenic diet is to put your body in the metabolic state known as ketosis by limiting carbohydrate, carbohydrate intake, including all grains and starches, such as rice, pasta, cereal, etc. Carbohydrate rich vegetables, such as potatoes or carrots are also eliminated along with fruit, except berries, such as strawberries, beans, peas, and lentils, and low fat, um, and low fat diet products, which are often high in carbs to compensate for the low fat content. That's so true. Like if you've ever noticed, um, how much less sugar, like full fat milk has versus skim milk. The reason why is because if you take the fat out of something, it has zero taste, you're losing all of the, um, good taste. So they have to add a bunch of sugar into it or carbohydrates to make it taste better. Um, so they say you can eat plenty of meats, including steak, sausage, bacon, nuts and seeds, avocados, green vegetables, tomatoes, onions, butters, butter, cream, eggs, fatty fish like salmon, tuna, trout, and mackerel, coconut oil, extra virgin olive oil. So we all know that. Well, if you're new to this, maybe you don't know that. So that's like a quick rundown. But you can go back to um, some of my first episodes and I talk more in depth about uh, what an actual ketogenic diet is, but that pretty much sums it up. That's pretty much what it is. All right. Well, let's go to question three today. It says, I am trying to get started on a ketogenic diet. So should I just take some new recipes and put them into practice and just give it a go or what? That's a great question. So, um, yeah, that would be, that's good. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing to get started. Ketogenic diet, get some new recipes, switch out your old recipes, but that can't be the only thing you're doing. And I actually wouldn't suggest that that's the first place you start. Um, it's good to be thinking of those things, but I think the first thing you need to do is you need to know the basics of the ketogenic diet, which we just kind of went over really, really super quickly. Um, but you need to know the basics of the ketogenic diet. What are you doing it for? What is it that you're doing? So you want to do high fat, low carb, moderate protein, super important. The moderate protein part, in my opinion, is extremely important, especially for women. I have seen, you know, I'm, I'm on a lot of these, um, Facebook groups and all these different threads about, you know, what do I eat on the ketogenic diet and is this acceptable and is that acceptable? And I mean, you put a question out there and you'll get advice from every Tom, Dick and Harry on the planet that knows everything that you need to know about nutrition and they really don't know anything you need to know about nutrition. And I don't mean that to sound mean, but um, you just have to be very careful about where you're getting your information, who you're getting your information from, you know, what qualifies them to tell you the things that they're telling you. I have seen some people on these threads, often women that are trying to get advice because they, you know, maybe they've stalled in their weight loss or they've got, um, they've got menstrual issues coming up or they're feeling very tired and run down or they're not sleeping well, or they've got these issues and they're, they'll give information on here's what my macros look like. Macros meaning your fat, carbohydrates and protein ratios. And they'll say, this is what my ratios look like. And, and I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And, and I can't tell you how many times that I have seen women giving higher than I would, than I think they should be. If they, if I was coaching them, if they were my client, I would be bringing their protein down. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen 
people comment on those and say they should actually increase their protein and that having a diet high in protein and high in fat is what they should be doing. I think that's crazy. I don't care if they are working out like a maniac because that's often what a lot of people will give them back is, well, if you're working out, you're going to need to up your protein and you need this much protein. Yeah, you're right. If you're working out, I do agree, especially if you're uh, doing a lot of uh, weight training and things like that, you may need slightly more protein. But guys, we're not talking about going from 60 grams of protein uh, to 100 grams of protein. We're talking maybe 60 grams of protein to 65 or 70 grams of protein. It's not this huge increase um, that you need. So, and really I wouldn't, I would suggest for pretty much all women across the board to not have more than 20 to 30 grams of protein in any given meal throughout the day. So, um, just as a general rule of thumb. So anyway, um, so, so the first point is get your macros dialed in. I think you, you really need to focus on the macros. You don't want to be eating too much protein because you're just defeating the purpose of, going low carb because of gluconeogenesis. We just talked about that. Your body will, it cannot store protein, excess protein, so it will convert it into glucose. And yes, you need a small amount of, of glucose, but you do not, your body will use what you're giving it. You don't need to worry about that and try to give it extra. So watch that. Um, also starting out a really great thing to do is just to cut all your processed food if possible. Just cut, cut it all. Just don't go, don't go down those dreaded middle aisles of the store. Just stay out of there. Just focus on whole foods, real foods, stick to vegetables. I am not of the belief that you need to monitor your vegetable intake to keep your carbs low. Um, vegetables are loaded with fiber. I, I know there's quite a debate between net carbs and, and total carbs, net carbs being total carbs, less the amount of fiber. But, um, especially when it comes to vegetables, I just don't think you need to worry about it at all. Just load up on veggies. Uh, it's a great, great source of so many micronutrients that we need. So load up on your vegetables, uh, meats, butters, creams, you know, great, good, pasture-raised, free-range animal products, and stay away from the packaged food and the processed food. Let me just say something real quick about the veggies and fats. I've never been one for eating my veggies, you know, ask my mom. Uh, so that was a long time ago, but, you know, it's just never, I'm one of those typical people. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I could do a TV dinner. I could do whatever my dad cooked, which was usually spaghetti, meatballs, meatloaf, mashed potatoes. I didn't have to do the Brussels sprouts and the green beans and, you know, the collard greens and all that kind of stuff. I'll tell you one thing I've learned uh, after you cooking this way for us is me having all these veggies sauteed up in some good fat, some good oil, some butter, some baking grease. It's actually changed the way I think about the veggies. And it's crazy because, it, you know, a few years ago before we really started diving into all this, I would think, you know, fat's bad and all that. So then really the things that make the veggies taste so good, I was limiting myself. Now I'm able to actually enjoy the veggies, but I also get the fat that I really need to. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. So when you're eating the vegetables, I mean, who wants to eat? Like, uh, well, <laughs> I shouldn't say who likes to eat. I know there's lots of people that eat like all the steamed vegetables, right? Or raw. Right. But they, well, 
there's a whole the whole another rabbit hole to go down eating all the raw vegetables. There's a lot of reasons that you really don't want to do that. But eating those veggies that are just steamed and um with nothing on them. Like I love steamed veggies, but you better throw like several tablespoons of butter on those steamed veggies. But you, but you just, I can remember all the years that we would just have like this flavorless food, like chicken breast with steamed broccoli and brown rice. And I would just gag it down. Oh, I mean, we would just, you, but you were just like, oh, but this is healthy. I'm being healthy. I'm, I'm doing something good for my body. And, and that has zero fat in it. Yeah. I mean, like as close to zero as we could get it. And that I just makes me shudder to think about eating that way again or how we used to eat that way. And it breaks my heart for the people that listen to the rhetoric out there and think that they need to eat that way. You don't need to eat that way. You actually need to go exactly the opposite. So, um, so yeah, so, so getting vegetables is an excellent vehicle for fat. Just think of them that way. Um, just load them up with fat. Do you know how much butter can fit into one piece of broccoli? <laughs> I don't know. I have a feeling you know. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's so fun to play around with that stuff. Like, we we make, you know, I love to cook and I love to try new recipes and I love to do all kinds of, you know, neat things. But more oftentimes than not, especially right now during sports season, we've got all the kids and all these different activities and doing all these things. We will just, you know, I'll just fall back on kind of the good old standby dinners. I'll, you know, make a steak or we'll make, I'll make a roast or some chicken thighs or, you know, whatever. And then I, will saute up some vegetables. And I, because we do it so often, I try to change up how I make the vegetables. So one night I might do it in uh, leftover bacon lard. I, I drain all my bacon grease into a container that I keep in the fridge. I know you don't have to keep it in the fridge. You can just leave it on the countertop. But first of all, I don't love the smell of bacon grease sitting out on the countertop. And secondly, I just haven't quite got it into my head yet that it can sit out. Like I, I still want it refrigerated, but regardless, that doesn't matter anyway. Um, but I have, I so I always have a ton of really good bacon grease on hand or, um, some nights I'll saute in avocado oil. It's so, they're so good in avocado oil or, or roast them. Uh, so I might toss them in avocado oil and then roast them in the oven or um, maybe we will saute them up in some ghee or some butter. So there's all these different ways that you can do vegetables and they all taste just slightly different depending on what fat you cook them with. Oh my gosh, so good. Um, okay, and then like starting when you're starting out, so you're trying to get started on the ketogenic diet, uh, no grains. So just keeping in mind that you just gotta cut out the grains. So um, that is everything. So no rice, no quinoa, no... Um, no wheat, no, you know, whatever, all these grains that you can think of. <clears throat> so if you, um, if you're used to having breakfast with oatmeal or some eggs and toast, you have to cut that oatmeal out and you have to cut that toast out. So you have to start focusing on the fat and the, um, and moderate, so high fat and moderate protein. So for breakfast, you might switch over to some bacon, some sausage, maybe some sauteed spinach and, uh, a couple of over easy eggs with some MCT oil on top of them or something like that. Um, staying away from artificial and chemically sweetened drinks, etc. I know this is another point of contention, even in the ketogenic community. I definitely, 
land on the side of not having any of those things. I, I don't agree with the power aids with the artificial sweeteners in them, the diet sodas with artificial sweeteners. Um, there are just too many studies out there that, um, that point to it having the same effect in your brain. Your brain does not understand that these no calorie artificial sweeteners, these chemical concoctions are, whether it's the blue packet, the pink packet, the yellow packet, the whatever packet, um, your brain still thinks it still registers that you're getting this sweet chemical thing and it believes it's still, it's waiting on the calories that come along with that, the carbohydrates that come along with that. And when it never gets it, it is a, it's just a, a whole bad chain reaction. You can still get an insulin response from this. You can still get uh, raised blood sugar from this. Um, so I, I just don't, I don't think that, and again, just it's a whole lifestyle to me. So, you know, I'm not looking to just be ketogenic just to be ketogenic. You know, I want it for my health. So if you're doing this for your health, why would you then still eat those things and drink those things that are just basically all chemicals? I mean, they have food dyes and, and artificial flavors and artificial sweeteners. And there's all these things that your body just doesn't need. Uh, another, so then, so yeah, recipes are really good for swapping. You know, once you get those things dialed in, then go to your recipes and start looking at, you know, what is your family like? Does your family like to eat, uh, spaghetti and meatballs every week? Do you have spaghetti and meatballs? I used to, I was a nanny years ago and I worked for a family that every Friday they had spaghetti and meatballs. That was their Friday meal. So just swap that. So now instead of, you know, maybe you made turkey meatballs because you thought that was healthy because they're lower fat. That's gross. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty gross. <laughs> but um, so maybe instead of the turkey meatballs, you know, I make a meatball that is uh, grass-fed ground beef and we put sausage, you know, ground sausage in our meatballs to give them so much more flavor and fat and they're so good. I like it when you like toast the cheese uh, and like make it a bake and put some pepperoni on there because mm -hmm. that just adds some more fat to it. Yes, it does. It's so good that way too. Or I love to make those meatballs and then I will put a little chunk of mozzarella cheese inside them when I bake them and then that melts. Oh my gosh, it's so good. So do we, you know, make your meatballs like that. I also got to remember we were allowed, quote unquote, to eat garlic and butter. So Garlic butter is my friend. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love garlic butter too, unlike everything. Veggies, meat, fish. Yes. So you can um so you can do that with your meatballs. And then instead of spaghetti, um, you don't have to use any kind of grain pasta. You can use zucchini noodles that you spiralize, or you can use spaghetti squash. Or if you're looking to make like, um, if you're looking to make like a lasagna or something like that, then you could like thinly slice the zucchini noodles. That is so good. Like, like thinly slice of zucchini. And then you lay those, you layer that exactly like you would a lasagna. But like what Derek's talking about is we will do, uh, like zoodles or spaghetti squash. And I will put my meatballs in the dish with those and homemade marinara on top of that. And then we will sprinkle cheese on it and maybe layer it with pepperoni on top. It's so good. I call that my pizza bake and it, it does remind you of pizza. It tastes like pizza, especially when you're using the uh, ground beef and sausage meatballs. 
So it's like having a meat lover's pizza. So like that would be one way to swap out like a normal, a, you know, a typical family meal that you might have that you think, well, gosh, hi, you know, how am I going to be able to go ketogenic? We can't do this stuff. And even like if your family is used to eating um, chicken, maybe you like to have chicken and vegetables often. Maybe you have chicken and vegetables and mashed potatoes. That's a pretty American meal. Uh, for dinner. So instead you just swap that out with mashed cauliflower, lots of butter. You can even put garlic or cheese in there if you want. Um, super yummy. You will not miss mashed potatoes. I promise you. And then instead of chicken breast, which are like 98% fat free, you switch over to a much more flavorful chicken thigh. And even better is if you make chicken like uh, you can do bone-in chicken pieces. So um, if you want to do a breast and your family likes breast, do a skin-on bone-in breast. You're going to get all the fat that is underneath the skin. That's where the, the subcutaneous fat is at on the chicken, just like it is on us. And But that is that's you want that. That's good. And I guess we just want to make sure we're getting you know good sourced meats too. Yes. Yeah. You want to get pasture raised um, chicken as well. Free roaming chicken. You don't want these chickens that are fed antibiotics and hormones to keep them alive and grow fast. And they never get out of a out of a barn and can't stand up on their own little legs. And it's a very sad existence. We shouldn't be supporting those farms anyway. Um, but yeah, not much health for us there. And then um, for your veggies, yeah, you can still, maybe you typically had broccoli with that meal. That's great. You can still do broccoli. And if you like steamed broccoli, like my kids prefer steamed broccoli, I almost always make them a side of steamed broccoli and it's just loaded with butter and they love it. It's so good. So that's like some ideas. And then if you want some more um, and some more involved recipes, Pinterest has great recipes. Just make sure that when you go out there, you know, type in like low carb, high fat recipes or uh, ketogenic recipes. Just make sure that you're uh, paying attention to what they're using in those recipes and trying to kind of if they don't have the macros listed for you, that you're kind of trying to figure that out on your own you don't need to worry about calories and, and, you know, I don't want you focusing on those things. And I don't want you to get too focused on macros that it becomes like this, um, as much of an obsession as like calorie counting can become. But, um, but you just want to make sure that you're staying within that proper realm. Also, as far as this question goes, getting started on a ketogenic diet, how do you kind of, you know, what's the best way to do that? All the things I mentioned, but in addition, guys, this is a lifestyle. So making sure that you are monitoring your stress, your sleep quality, you know, are you exercising? And when I say exercising, I don't mean, I don't care if you go to the gym ever for the rest of your life. I don't care. I do not think you need to go to the gym to be healthy, but I do think you need to move. So get out and walk walking is probably the number one best exercise anybody can do for their health. So get out and walk, walk an hour a day. If you can, you know, get out, walk, um, ground, but get your, get your feet on the bare ground, do some grounding, um, get some sun while you're out walking, uh, do some, do some light weights. You can just buy some little dumbbells and do some light weights at home, doing squats, doing push-ups, sit-ups, um, pull-ups are incredible. You know, anything that you can do like that, 
just to keep your body active and moving. And honestly, the best thing that you can do when you're getting started is to get with a coach or another professional nutrition professional that understands the keto diet or like Derek was talking about with his um, friend and his, uh, you know, our friend and our, his friend's friend, you know, they both have doctors that are get, that have put them on strict ketogenic diets. So that's another, um, it's just important to have somebody that can help coach you and keep you accountable and help you to feel like, you know what you're doing enough that you can keep moving forward. Okay. Let's get on to question four, fourth and final question. I'm eating a keto diet, but I'm now having sugar cravings all the time. I don't know how to get past this. What can I do, Jessica? <laughs> so what you can do, this is such a common question. I get this all the time and, uh, you know, Hey, I have dealt with this before. I know Derek's dealt with this before, um, not just once or twice, or it comes around. And the longer you're at this lifestyle, the easier it does get because you really, truly do change your taste buds and your craving. I mean, your receptors are just not there for all the sugar anymore. But that's not to say that you can't fall into that, especially if you do a few, you know, cheats, so to speak. Um, you know, carbohydrates, when you, when you eat carbohydrates, they make you want to continue to eat carbohydrates. Your brain continues to want that, um, that fuel source. It wants to pack some, some weight away just in case you might need it later on. So, um, so some of my best tips for getting over the sugar cravings, um, I actually did a video on this a few weeks ago and put it on my Facebook page. So you can go there and check that out. But that's at um, Facebook backslash Jessica Thai Nutrition. And uh, I did a video where I was uh, had been asked this question. And I said my number one tip for getting over sugar cravings is to go is to exercise. So if that is you're just going to do a quick little session in your living room floor where you're going to do push-ups, sit-ups, and some squats and some lunges, you know, and you're, you're done in five, 10 minutes. That's fine. That's what it takes to get through it. Um, but typically about 10 minutes, if you can do about 10 minutes of exercise, you will get through that sugar craving. And when you're done with the exercise, um, exercise relieves and relieves endorphins. And when you release those, you, that is going to satisfy that's going to trigger that, um, that desire in your brain. And just like the, the cravings has, you know, it wants the carbohydrates, it wants the sugar, cause you're going to get that same reaction. So that will, that'll do it. It'll go away. So in that video, I showed that I did my, you know, 10 minute hit training, uh, on my street and that will, that will nip sugar cravings right away. And I actually had a client that said, um, oh my gosh, thank you so much for that tip. Because when a sugar craving hit me, I remembered your video and I did that and you're so right. It totally nipped it in the bud. So that was good. Um, another, uh, another great way to kind of nip a sugar craving, especially in the beginning is, um, with fat, with just getting more fat. So avocado is a really great way. If you like avocados, just slice open an avocado, put some salt on it and just eat that. Oftentimes just having the, the satiation of the fat will get rid of that sugar craving. Um, if you don't like avocado or you don't have that on hand or you want something else, I have done this and, um, it sounds weird, but it actually tastes good and it'll, it'll get rid of the craving is take 
a piece of cheese. Like I love Swiss, for instance. So I took a piece of Swiss cheese and some butter and Kerry Gold is by far the best butter that I've ever had. So I highly suggest if you do not have Kerry Gold or you have not tried it yet, not all butters are created equal and Kerry Gold is the top of the line. <laughs> Get you some Kerry Gold salted butter. It's in the gold pack, the gold colored pack. The silver one is unsalted, but get the Kerry Gold salted butter. I literally just took a butter knife and took a big old, you know, swipe of that Kerry Gold butter, put it right down the middle of that Swiss cheese and rolled that Swiss cheese up and ate it. It was so good. And it was actually, it was creamy and it was like, it was almost like eating a piece of brie cheese. Like it was just really good. So that's one way. Um, fat bombs. I know people have heard of like the, the term fat bomb. And that is these um, treats or snacks. Often they are sweet, uh, a little bit sweet. So it gives you that, that um, satisfaction. One of my favorites currently, um, we don't eat these that often, but I typically keep them around just in case we, we want something or need something or one of the kids wants something. I love to see my kids eat this rather than some other things. But one of my current favorites is the... Um, chocolate chip cookie dough fat bomb. And I can't remember where I got this now. I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong, um, Facebook page or website. So I'm not going to mention which one it was, but, um, but it's a chocolate chip cookie dough fat bomb. And I will put the recipe. I will link that in the show notes. The one that we use, it is so easy. It is, it's cream cheese, butter, peanut butter, um, vanilla, a little bit of erythritol or swerve, which is a sugar alcohol. Um, and I don't, like I've said in the past, I don't love uh, any sweetener. No, this is not an artificial sweetener, but, um, but stevia and erythritol are like the only ones that uh, that I will use that I feel like don't, I don't really, uh, doesn't elicit a response from me. So, but I use a very little bit. I use much less actually than the original recipe called for. And then some Lily's, um, sugar-free chocolate chips. And oh my gosh, I'm telling you what, now, if you were a sugar burner and you made that recipe and tried to eat it, it would probably taste like junk to you. And you would be like, I'm never eating that again. But when you are, um, ketogenic and you're not eating sugar like that, I think these things taste incredibly rich and yummy and they really do. I mean, to me, I might as well just be eating a big old hunk of cookie dough. It tastes the same. So that's like a really easy way to get through that. And then another way would be fruit. So um, berries and cherries, um, star fruit, guava, kiwi fruit, all of those are pretty low sugar fruits. So those are all good. You can have you know, a, a cup of berries or, um, you know, a small kiwi fruit, something like that. That's a good way to, to nip it. Um, even like grapefruit, tangerines, nectarines. I mean, you're getting up there more in the sugar content, but like a grapefruit's like eight grams, tangerines, nine nectarines, peaches. Those are like 13 grams. Oranges are 12, but if that's what you like, then, you know, that's okay. Just, you know, go with something like that. So I think a little hack that I've had out there, um, and Jesse does not like this, but um, uh, I like it personally, but I grew up on milkshakes. So literally, like every night, my mom would make a milkshake for us. 
And so part of what we think about as food is habits that we formed, maybe psychological attachments. Maybe every time you watch a movie, you have to have your popcorn and Coke. I know somebody like that. Or maybe, you know, you have these little things that are attached to some kind of emotion or ritual, right? I think a lot of people have a hard time breaking that. So for me, I didn't want to give up my milkshakes. I just loved them. I did find a really nice hack, and that is this Keto Fuel, uh, which is a a brand um, that uh, Jesse found for me. And it's basically, imagine like a protein shake, but it just doesn't have all the protein in it. It's very light on the protein, high in fat. And I really love the taste of it. It has a little bit of a nutty flavor to it. And what I I do is I kind of know how many carbs I have left by the end of the day. And I know how sweet I can make it. And by that, I mean, how much banana do I put in there? So if I want, uh, if I don't have much carbs left for the day, maybe I'll just put in a quarter of a banana and like a little little scoop of peanut butter and uh, some ice and maybe water and heavy whipping cream. And then the, this basically keto powder, protein powder. And I'll tell you what, when I, and I use a Vitamix blender, when I blend that up, I can just tell you right now, I've gotten to the point where I crave that more than actually real milkshakes anymore. Like I get it in my head like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go home and get that. And it's taken me a while to like figure out the exact recipe, but I can just tell you it is uh, one of those things where I do crave it now. And it, so I don't think about sugar. I just drink that. And I whip it so firm with as much ice as I can. It almost stands up like a uh, blizzard. So you think of it, how icy and sweet that is. To me, that's all the sugar I really need at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And I know our 11-year-old, our keto kid, he loves those shakes when you make those. So, um, yeah, I mean, you could make those vanilla. You could make those coffee-flavored, um, strawberry. You could put some berries in there or some chocolate. Some, um, yeah, I said coffee cause you love that coffee flavor. So there's, you could do, there's so many different ways you can, you can flavor it, but it's called keto fuel, um, meal replacement shake. And I will, again, I'll link to that one in the show notes too. So you can go there. It's a, a really ideal, um, ratio of carb, protein, and fat percentages that, um, will not take you out of ketosis. So that's a really good one, Derek. I didn't think about that one. And then, um, last but not least, another really great thing is, um, peely nuts. Now I wouldn't say every nut because often you can't eat enough of them to kind of, um, get through a craving like that. And, um, most nuts, to me anyway, just aren't really going to cut it if I'm looking for something sweet and rich, like, you know, when I'm, when I have a sugar craving, but peely nuts are different. They are incredible. They are so, um, buttery and rich and amazing that, you know, you really, for me anyway, I can't even eat that many of them before I'm like, okay, done. You know, like that, that's it. That that's, all I need. Um, they are super yummy and there is a, there's one certain brand. There's only one brand I would recommend. Um, it's from hunter gatherer brand and they are because they, because of the way that they harvest them, the way that they, um, treat them, the way they're, uh, processed and, uh, they are amazing. I have had other peely nuts. I've had them that are not 
peeled and then you peel them yourself. And they're, I mean, they're not, they aren't even close to the same taste or anything, but these, uh, from the ones from hunter gatherer, they actually sprout these and they are in coconut oil and sea salt. And then they have other, they have a few different flavors. I'm not super familiar with all the other flavors. I'm kind of a, just give it to me with just the salt kind of girl. I, I just like to keep it simple like that, but they have other flavors as well. Um, but if you want to try peeling nuts and you haven't, they are like the perfect ketogenic nut, like perfect. They're super high fat, very buttery, um, like no carbs and just super, they're perfect, perfect ketogenic snack. So you can go for any of my listeners, um, right now you can go to their website, which is eat Peely nuts and Peely is P I L I. So eat P I L I N U T S eat Peely nuts.com. And if whatever you order, you just place your order and then at checkout, use the coupon code Jessica Ty, all caps, J E S S I C A T Y E, all caps, and you'll get 10% off your order. So, um, if you've been wanting to try those out, I know they have some sampler packs and, um, they have, you know, different full packs, whatever, um, you want to use. So those are really super good. So highly recommend that. Okay. And then, um, I think that's about all we have for this episode. I hope that answered those questions and I gave you enough and I hope, I remembered to talk about everything I wanted to talk about on those. But um, real quick, I haven't done this the last couple of episodes because I have been running long on them or and I'm running long on this too. I try to keep my episodes at an hour. But um, I wanted to read a review today because I've not uh, read one in a while. So today's review is from Joyce and this is on my Facebook page. I thought this was such a uh, sweet review. It says Jessica's knowledge is what we all need in order to make better choices about maintaining our health. I have been looking for a person with this level of scientific knowledge that can also explain it to me so that I can understand. And Jessica is that person. I have subscribed to her podcast and I am excited to continue to learn more about fine tuning my health and understanding why things happen instead of just covering up symptoms with pills. Thank you, Jessica. Oh, thank you so much, Joyce. I love that review. That makes me very happy. And that is exactly what I do this for is just so that you guys can listen to these and continue to learn. And I hope that it makes you want to go out there and dig into some research yourself and start figuring those things out and kind of get into the bottom of anything that you might have going on. Well, I guess I'll sum it up on my side. Uh, so if anyone was interested in uh, contributing to the relief efforts uh, and, you know, maybe you saw the different uh, ones that are on TV or you're just not sure if there's a good one out there, I just want to give you the link to this relief effort because it is 100% donations go directly to people and it's redrelief.org. And uh, basically, red is the color of our company, so that's why they call it that, redrelief.org. And I can tell you that the company is sponsoring 100% of the administrative costs, so 100% of your donations uh, are going directly to helping people, which I think is pretty amazing. And a million volunteers, I'm sure, that they're going to be collecting all all over the country. Uh, There's 170,000 Keller Williams agents that are raising awareness and raising money in their individual offices. Our goal is to raise an additional 
$20 million just this year for the uh, relief effort. So I just wanted to put that in at the end. I hope that uh, is okay with you, Jess. Of course. I love that. I love that we have the platform to be able to share something like that and, and hope that, that that is a way that we can help impact these families. So, all right, guys, well, that's all I have for today. So thank you guys so much for listening. And please, if you enjoyed this episode or any of my episodes, or if you haven't heard them all, go back and listen to the first 10. That would be awesome. Um, so this is number 11. There's 10 more you can listen to, but if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. I would love a review, uh, you to leave a review, a five-star review on iTunes would be wonderful. Um, more of those reviews that we get, the, the better iTunes, um, uh, rates your, your podcast, the higher up in the list you go and the more people can find you. You're kind of not very easily found until you get some reviews out there. So I really, really appreciate if you'd leave a review. If you have um, any questions or want to reach out to me, you can do so via email at, uh, you can reach me at jessica at jessicatai.com. Uh, you can also go to my website. That's jessicatai.com. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at thatketoblonde. And on Facebook, I am Facebook backslash Jessica Thai Nutrition. That's Facebook backslash Jessica Thai Nutrition. And just, I've said this before, but I just want to put it out there again. Um, please, if you just look up Jessica Thai on Facebook and send a friend request, please do not be upset if I do not accept that friend request. If I do not personally know you out of respect for my family and my children, I will not accept that request. My Facebook page is, uh, is a personal Facebook page for me, but, uh, that is why I have the business, uh, page, the Jessica Ty nutrition page. That is for all of, um, those of you who listen to the podcast or are interested in what I put out there on about nutrition or, um, things I have upcoming or whatever that all those announcements will be on that, on that business page. And I really appreciate if you want to follow me there, that would be great. If you like the page and follow it, you'll get the updates as I post them. And, um, and maybe uh, just real quick, uh, maybe you have, maybe you haven't heard that, um, Jimmy Moore, uh, recently, um, actually just this past Friday released the episode where he had me on his fasting talk show. So that was super exciting. Jimmy is awesome. And he is the most incredible professional, um, interviewer I've ever met. So and he's got some nice chickens. <laughs> yes, he does have some nice chickens. We uh, visited him when we were recently in South Carolina and got to meet his chickens and hang out a little bit with him and Christine. It was pretty awesome. But um, so anyway, if you listen to that episode of Fasting Talk, which is just this past one on Friday, I think it was episode, um, which one was it? 37? Hmm. Okay. Derek says it was 37. Um, he's probably right, but I was feeling like it was, I was going to tell you a different episode. So I'm glad that I listened to Derek. Yeah. Episode 37. Yep. So, um, so that if you want to go back and listen to that, that would be, um, that would be cool. You could listen to, to Jimmy interviewing me on there about fasting. 
So, okay, guys, I think that's it. That wraps it up. And um, again, thank you so much for listening and keep your questions coming in. Let me know what you want to hear about on these uh, on these podcast episodes, and I will keep putting out what you want to hear. That's what we're here for. All right. Have a good night. Bye-bye. And this episode of Keto Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you by Peely Nuts from Hunter Gatherer. Peely Nuts is a rich, buttery tree nut, wild harvested from deep in the Filipino rainforest. It tastes unlike any other nut in the world. It's often approximated as a combination between a macadamia nut and a cashew, but with a stronger, more tender flavor. Peely Nuts are the quintessential keto nut, and you will love its buttery taste. To learn more about Peely Nuts, go to www.eatpeelynuts.com. Again, that's www.eatpeelynuts.com. And for a 10% discount, use the coupon code Jessica Ty at checkout. Again, that's Jessica Ty at checkout, all caps for your 10% discount. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode.